Deacon Ensign Darren Volke, and as always, the pastor, Father John Eckert. Sorry we're a little bit late today for those of you who were sitting and waiting with bated breath. I hope there's at least some of you. I'm sure Fred's out there doing I it. I hope so. Fred Gunther is one of our biggest Fred fans. Stanislaus Gunther. We salute he is, you. He, his confirmation statement is Stanislaus. I know. It's and awesome. I'm his sponsor. So oh, I shouldn't. I'm sorry. Don't forget that. Yeah. Um, I won't. Fred, I will you're not also again. getting a Christmas card from us. So a Merry Christmas. It went in the mail yesterday. Um, and we're going to explain why we're a little bit late here in a second because it's kind of a prayer request. But we're going to start with a prayer and then we'll explain the prayer request and then maybe we'll pray again. I don't know. It depends on what the pastor wants we're just, to do. We're just going to keep praying because St. Paul told us to pray always exactly. without ceasing. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Dear Lord, as we continue through this third week of Advent, the season of subdued joy, help us to remember always in good times and in bad that you are Emmanuel, God with us, that you love this so much that you are with us now and always. You were born in Bethlehem, that you continue with us in the Blessed Sacrament, that you will come again. Help us to continue to grow more and more each day in our love for you, to trust in our love for you, and to spread that love to everyone whom we encounter. And we ask this through the intercession of the one who loves you so much, our Blessed Mother, as we pray. Hail Mary. Full of, of grace, grace, the Lord is with thee. thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus, have mercy on us. Immaculate heart of Mary, pray for us. Saint Joseph, pray for us. Saint John the Baptist, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, as I said before we get started, Father, five minutes on what's going on at the parish. Darren, you get five minutes to explain what you're up to, and then we're going to dive into the paragraph. So, that's the next 10 minutes. I like it. I mean, I think our, our banter section at the beginning of the shows is actually going pretty darn well. It's, it's like a monthly out opportunity to just sort of chat and get people up to date on what's going on. So for any of you who have students in our wonderful Sacred Heart Catholic School, you are already aware of this. Um, we sent out something yesterday. By the way, before we begin, let's just give the uh, obvious prerequisite. Everybody is safe, which is wonderful. And we will continue to be safe. Indeed. And Piedmont Gas, uh, they're very easy to work with. I was impressed with them yesterday. Um, it was quite nice. And the good folks at United Mechanical, I was very impressed with them. And here at Sacred Heart, I would say we have the two best maintenance men quite possibly in the whole wide world. Universe. Um, universe. In the universe. Like, I, I, know, I don't know how they're doing with you know maintenance men on the planet of Venus, I don't care to know because I'm already very happy with Mr. Jim Brinsfield and Mr. Miguel Villalobos because, man, they put their whole hearts into things. Anyway, um, found out uh, we had some very high-level uh, gas readings on the side of the school. Not to, like, panic emergency amount, but you could smell some gas over there. They come, checked it out, uh, and turns out uh, the gas company decided it would be safest to turn off our gas yesterday which means that we don't currently have heat in the school and church office building. Now, thanks be to God, we live in North Carolina, where the winters are as mild as can be. Tonight below, a blistery 51 degrees, so I think we're going to be okay today. I mean, the high was like 68 degrees. It's lovely out there. Um, and when I came in this morning to check the school early on, I mean, it felt a little cool, but it wasn't cold by any stretch of the imagination. So... We're good there, we're able to have school today, we're able to have school tomorrow, but in digging and having to go underneath the concrete, we found <laughs> that when those pipes uh, for the gas line were installed um, a little over 12 years ago now, 
the wrapping, and you know, let's just assume for like to be kind to the guy who did the installation that maybe he thought this was a good idea and was trying to save us some money on uh, the insulation of the pipe that you would normally wrap like a baseball bat, right? Well, he decided to just sort of like wrap it like a present with just one piece on each side, although as Darren put it even more accurately, it was like trying to repeal a banana. And it didn't do the trick, and there was a rot in the steel pipe, and what we thought would be a pinhole leak is more like, I don't know. Like a pencil. Like a pencil yeah, like you could stick a pencil in there. And then the trouble is, is when it looks like it was shoddy craftsmanship, then we're not exactly sure what's going on underground. So this could be a potentially pretty darn big project. Our buddies from United Mechanical, who, by the way, were here lickety-split, really you know, putting in a full day out there, doing a lot of concrete, you know, like with the sledgehammer and getting it up. God bless them. They're going to be sore tonight. But they were working really hard. Um, I think we've got an answer. It can, you know, hopefully insurance is going to be coming in there. Um, but, you know, these things happen. And so that's why if I don't look is like, you know, super thrilled. Still kind of processing this. However, Christ has come. We're going to be okay. And uh, as St. Paul told us, rejoice in the Lord always. I shall say it again. Rejoice. And it is a season of subdued joy. Indeed. So we're getting a little bit of help with the subduedness mm -hmm. today. It's okay. That's okay. But the thing that's like adding on to the joy is the fact that we're joined by our mutual friend, Deacon Ensign Darren Balky. And Darren, what have you been up to? Well, an important note, Father mentioned it already, but I want to reiterate, the church is still very much equipped yes. with all of its utilities. So the classic Benedictine combination of aura at labora, prayer, and labor, work, um, go well together. So over on the work side, we're working a little harder, and mm -hmm. the temperature's a little lower. But uh, on the prayer side, all things are good. You're always welcome throughout the day when the church is open. Come on in and pray. Be with us for Mass, and uh, we'd love to have you. So And as you just advantage. said, that's, it's a very good point. Hey, the Mass is for Christmas Eve, not in jeopardy at all. Like, we're, we're doing great, so... Fantastic. Please yes. continue. Um, I arrived back in the wee hours of Saturday last. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I've finished up my next to last semester of seminary, which is a big deal. Um, I have now taken final exams 11 times after college. So for a 22nd grader, I'm feeling excellent. Um, That's great. Sort of rounding third, headed for home, and uh, it's it's a great feeling. Um, and to share it with you all here in the parish uh, through these coming weeks will be wonderful. Um, I'm also wrapping up my thesis work um, through these next few months, so pray for that. Um, that would be wonderful um, to bring to a successful completion, and um, really just taking time to recharge and refocus through Advent is the main thing. Cool. We're very happy to have you back. Again, that's Thanks subdued for. joy. You know, joyous finishing a semester, but keep it down, okay? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. At least for another week. Don't right? let the pot boil over. I will say, though, as Darren said, arriving in the wee hours in the morning on uh, Saturday, yeah, they really were, they were beyond the wee hours. I got up at 5.30 on Saturday and, like, was getting some coffee, checked my phone, and Darren said, I'll be there in five minutes. He drove through the night after his finals because he was so excited to return to Sacred Heart in Salisbury. It's, it's the start of a fine Navy day. Wow, it was great. And we got to pray morning prayer together, um, have a little coffee. 
it was just great. It was a good Saturday. Amen. So, praise Fantastic. God. Fantastic. And we're going to have a good discussion with the whatever time we have left. I'm not doing math really quick like right now, but you know what? Who cares? It's okay. If we um, go over, we go over, I think. So, we're going to, so last time we talked a lot about Mary, mm -hmm. right? A lot of different Marian dogmas, a lot of Marian teachings. And we're going to finish up the last one today with uh, Mary's perpetual virginity, right? And that's going to be the first uh, 10 paragraphs or so to wrap us up with that. And then we're going to dive into the life and mystery of Christ, which is amazing coming into the Christmas season and getting to talk today about the life of Christ and his incarnation. Um, so let's dive right in. So Mary, virginity. The awesome thing that we need to remember is Mary was a virgin pre-conception, during the bearing of Christ, and post-birth. God, through his infinite, I was going to say joy, but it's not really infinite joy, infinite uh, graces that he can pour upon uh, people, gifted Mary with this gift of perpetual virginity, even through the bearing of uh, his and her son, Jesus Christ, um, as kind of a sign of her... Um, preservation from sin mm -hmm. as part of the Immaculate Conception being thrown in there and part of the gift of her role in mm -hmm. salvation history. Yeah, because part of the um, consequences of original sin, the pain of childbearing, so she is kept free from that. And actually, it's like if you think about the analogy as Mary is sort of like the burning bush, you know, that uh, with Moses, like, you know, bearing God but not being burned up herself. Like, it's almost, you know, God enters in um, and Mary gets to keep this perpetual virginity uh, as a sign of, you know, I mean, her immaculate conception, really. And it's as it says in 506, um, it's a sign of her faith, unadulterated by any doubt, and of her undivided gift of herself to God's will. In her faith that enables her to become the mother of the Savior, Mary is more blessed because she embraces faith in Christ and because she conceives the flesh of Christ. So it's like, and she's just totally given over to God, fully body and soul she's all all in so and i like how she's more blessed by her faith than mm -hmm. by the fact that she conceived christ so her faith is the most important aspect and then conceiving christ it kind of is a almost fruit of that in some ways mm -hmm. so just remember have faith be like Mary. yeah and this is all summed up by a word that keeps popping up in here um, integrity Integrity, meaning that everything is held together as one composed whole. Um, so body, soul, um, her mind, everything is perfectly attached to the will of God the Father. Um, and she cooperates perfectly with God's perfect plan. Um, and so that's reflected by the perfection of her virginal state. Fantastic. The one other thing I would say, just in case, uh, like two little scriptural things that you may come across sometimes, people sort of like throwing things about Mary. Paragraph 500 talks about the language of the brothers and sisters of Jesus. Um, and, it, and paragraph 500 says, The church has always understood these passages as not referring to other children of the Virgin Mary. In fact, James and Joseph, brothers of Jesus, quote-unquote, are the sons of another Mary, a disciple of Christ whom St. Matthew significantly calls the other Mary. So... Just realize, like, when people kind of throw things at you, there's a full context. And even what we were just saying about Mary's faith being that most important part, like when Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers? They're those who hear the word of God and act on it. I'm paraphrasing. But when you think about who does that perfectly, our blessed mother. 
And so like she is, I was listening to a beautiful talk from the Thomistic Institute the other day. It's like, I think sometimes we think about like Adam and Eve are the humans that we're looking to when really, you know, the absolute like models that we're striving to striving after are blessed mother and Jesus himself, you know, like to try to imitate them, not our fallen first parents, but you know, the new Eve, our blessed mother, who so fully gives herself over to God. Perfect. Fantastic. Well, we're going to wrap up the section on Mary for now. We will talk about Mary more, because yeah. how can you not? I know. She's coming and back. Actually, we're probably going to talk about Mary here in the next, like, 15 <laughs> paragraphs, actually. Um, but first, we're going to dive into the mystery of Christ's life. So this is paragraph three of this section. Um, paragraph 5, 12, and forward. Actually, we're going to be in this section all the way through this, the rest of this time together, and really, I think, next time. So we're right. talking about Christ's life a lot here. But first, we have to understand that Christ's life is a mystery, okay? Everything we talk about here is not fully understood, okay? Because we're talking about God become man. I mean, that's a mystery in itself mm -hmm. right there. So everything that Christ is doing in his, in his life is true revelation to us. I mean, this is the meaning of divine revelation, God telling us things. And what better way for us to hear that than Jesus doing it and saying it straight out of his own mouth. And so right off the bat, there's a mystery that we're dealing with here. But we have to understand that he's also trying to teach us things, right? He's doing these things for a reason. He's doing these things after the will of his father. He's doing these things so we can better understand him and his relationship with his father and ultimately get to heaven mm -hmm. one day. So it's all kind of shrouded in mystery, but we can peek through this mystery and apply these things to our own lives as well. And I would just say, you know, when you think about that and it's like, wait a second, why does it have to be mysterious? Why can't I just know everything about it? Well, all the best things in life are kind of shrouded in mystery. You know, I was thinking about this the other day, like, you know, being... At Mass today, and our good friend Deacon Darren Balky proclaiming the gospel. It's like, man, how many years have we known each other now? You know, and our friendship has grown over the years. And at first, uh, you were young Darren discerning whether or not to go into the seminary. And we went out for a run when it was cold outside. And you're really good at running and, and like running shorts in a, in a tank top when I had to be in basically a snowsuit. But still, you're much tougher and faster than me. And like we're trying, like he's talking a lot and I'm not because I was out of breath. And like, you know, just like friendship growing over time. and and he entered the seminary, and our, you know, our, our relationship has grown. As I've learned more and more what it is to be a priest, and he's been growing as a seminarian. We're growing in our faith. It's like we didn't know what life was going to be like in December of 2021. There's a mysterious aspect. It's like a relationship gradually being unveiled with time. And it's a beautiful thing that keeps you coming back and keeps you growing all the time. And that's just one human relationship. I mean, what our Lord is giving us here, yes, yeah, shrouded in mystery, God become man. Um, and as it says in the Gospel of John, which I know gets referenced in here at one point, that um, you know I do not think that the world contain, could contain the books that would be written if everything was written down about Jesus' life. I mean, there's so much to it and so much mystery, and we're going to talk about some of those different aspects, but don't feel slighted because it's a mystery. I mean, the beautiful thing is a mystery doesn't mean, oh, I guess I can't know about it, I'll just walk away. No. Like, you can always keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. And it's a beautiful thing about the faith. There's always more to learn because it's not just, I'm learning more knowledge. But you should, I mean, keep learning more knowledge. But there's also a relationship there. As you grow as a human being, like, he is still here. He is alive. He's risen from the dead. 
that relationship with him continues to grow. And so to hear that it's a mystery, it's not a cop-out, it's the word that actually expresses well what's going on here because there's always more to learn. So. It's the opposite of our gas leak. So a gas leak, a gas leak is a problem. Yeah. You want it to have a definitive finish, and you dig and dig and dig. When you find it, you're done. And if the incarnation were like that, we, we, we wouldn't be sitting here, and there wouldn't actually be anything to talk about. These would be silly words in this book. But because there's mystery, as Father said, you can always dig, mm -hmm. right? Ephraim, uh, who's a saint from the 300s, he said, you know, when a man goes to drink water, he shouldn't be disappointed because when he quenches his thirst, the stream still runs, and he couldn't drink all the water. Good point. It's like, come on, man. Don't, don't worry about <laughs> drinking all the water. Like, there's more people who are thirsty, right? You take as much as you can. You might be full by the end of this talk on the mystery of the incarnation. I hope not. I hope you're still, still thirsting after that, but you're going to grow in your capacity to, uh, to encounter the mystery and to dig and dive deeper into that. So, yeah, very much a wonderful Advent project. That's really good. And there's something that this mystery is driving towards. So in 517, Christ's whole life is a mystery of redemption. Redemption comes to us above all through the blood of his cross. But this mystery is at work throughout Christ's entire life. So we have to almost put a lens on of this mystery is about redemption, right? And so once we see that there's kind of an end, and then we're seeing Christ's entire life, the mystery starts to make a little bit more sense. It mm -hmm. starts to reveal itself a little bit more. Oh, yeah, this is about redemption. I, I got to remember that. When I look at this mystery, I can kind of target and orient where it's supposed to go. Um, and what better way to see some of that mystery and that target and redemption in this Christmas season? Right? Absolutely. And we kind of skipped the line, another line a little bit uh, earlier in 512, right? These, all these mysteries must be seen in the light of the mysteries of Christmas and Easter. Yeah. So we have to put the whole redemptive story into the context of these two major events as well of Christmas and Easter. I haven't finished the book yet, but I'm kind of working through it. I'm a couple chapters in. Um, it's a book by Carol Hauslander called The Passion of the Infant Christ. And she hmm. keeps like relating in, like, so it's like seeing, you know, the whole infancy narratives through the lens of the passion from the beginning. And at first, like, well, what are you talking about? Like, when you go to Christmas, we're not thinking about the cross. Well, I mean, like, think about the no room at the end. Think about the fact that he's placed, you know, in the manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. Like, he'll be wrapped when he's laid in the tomb. We'll wrap, laid in the, in the manger. It's a feeding trough. Uh, you know, the fact that already um, the dark world, you know, with the, and the person of King Herod is trying to kill him. Uh, you think about just the way that already he is making himself vulnerable. Um, you know, even the fact is when he's in the womb, like our Lord allowing himself to be, you know, in the darkness, so to speak. Like all these different ways, you know, that from the very beginning, like for Christ to uh, become one of us, to make himself vulnerable. It's like you can see Christmas and Easter, like very much tied in together. Um, and yeah, just the, those, those two should always be held together. And I highly recommend that book, even though I'm not finished yet. And in 5.18, it starts off, Christ's whole life is a mystery of recapitulation. Recapitulation means putting the head back on top, right? The ordering, the organized, because I don't know if you know this, but in Genesis 3, 
everything went off the rails hard. And all the prophets leading up through John the Baptist have been trying to call the people back. The law has been there to get us where we need to be, back in relationship with God. But the fact is the divide was so great that only God could mend it. And so in sending his only begotten son, um, he's going to put the head back on it. Mm -hmm. And uh, no, no more headless heroes. <laughs> yeah, and I actually blanked on that, that word and that definition. And then when you said recapitulation, I'm like, oh yeah, like recapitate. Like we're not decapitating. Nope. Recapitating. We're recapitating. Isn't that a great Your head was gone. About? Yep. It's back on. It's back on. We're good to go. Um, now, all these mysteries, right, have to do with our communion with Christ, right? So we're trying to also, well, he is revealing these mysteries to us to better connect with us and to better bring us to him. And so I love some of these, this imagery through 519 through 521, just talking mm -hmm. about, um, and, uh, this is 520. In all of his life, Jesus presents himself as our model. He is the perfect man who invites us to become his disciples and follow him. 521. Christ enables us to live in him all that he himself, as he himself lived, and he lives in us. So it's this communal relationship, too. It is mystery, yes. But he wants, the, the mystery was already there. Mm -hmm. And actually, the mystery was a greater mystery until Christ's becoming man. And he has revealed so much to us, and he's inviting us into that mystery. And I really like what Father's talking about with the mystery of a relationship that you don't know how it's going to flourish. Sure. I mean, everyone was waiting for the Savior. Everyone was waiting for the um, Savior to come, and all of Scripture was pointing to the Savior. And then he says, now I'm here. The mystery is a little bit more revealed because I'm present. But there's so much more mystery that you guys have maybe haven't even been thinking about yet that I'm going to continue to reveal to you just like when you meet somebody for the first time, that relationship unfolds and you get to know that person more in ways you never would have imagined when you were a sophomore in college and you went up very humbly to somebody and you're like, hey, I don't have a roommate yet. You want to be my roommate? <laughs> and he goes, takes a bite of food. Yeah, yeah, let me think about that. That, that might work out. That was kind of the first conversation I had with my roommate intentionally and it was a fun day and then he became your best man at your wedding exactly and that's so great and I was gonna be a priest and there's no such thing as a best man at an ordination so I'm a little bummed that I don't get that title yeah. but you know what we'll move past that. and you'll get a first blessing okay I just sure. I want to throw in one thing here too so 520 you, you landed on something really important I'm gonna re, I'm gonna read the whole thing okay. and I got and I got a reason I, mean, I thought first half was fine but if you I just don't think it's me. enough and I got a reason for it okay. so you ready for I'm this? Ready. okay in all his life, Jesus presents himself as our model. He is the perfect man who invites us to become his disciples and follow him. In humbling himself, he has given us an example to imitate. Through his prayer, he draws us to pray. By his poverty, he calls us to accept freely the privation and persecutions that may come our way. So, the reason I want to focus on that one a little bit. Take that and reflect on paragraph 520 when you are tempted to say like, why do I need to go to confession? It's not like I've killed anybody or anything. You know, it's like, as I've said before, I really don't like that line. It's like, good for you, but being a disciple of Christ is about more than being a not murderer, right? It's about what? It's about living life like our model. I think too often we set the bar so darn low. It's like, you know, when, when we say things like, well, it's not like I'm a Nazi or anything. Okay, that's great, but 
Our life, and, and I heard this once on a retreat, it was Monsignor Stephen Rolfs. He put it this way. He said, the Ten Commandments are the point just below which you're a jerk. And the thing I liked about it is like, okay, yes, the Ten Commandments, they're good. It's a good baseline. But guess what? Your life is about more than just kind of like staying within the guardrails of like, ah, okay, I managed not to violate the Sixth Commandment and commit adultery. Great, but guess what? Your marriage is about more than just not being unfaithful. Your marriage is about absolutely loving your spouse with your whole absolute everything, pouring it all out, bringing new life into the world, showing the world that, that a bride can be loved like Christ loves his church. You're not called to be just not a basic sinner. You're called to be a saint. And as the catechism tells us, Jesus is our model, that God has become one of us to make like his actual life as the perfect man to show us, okay, this is possible because, as Michael said in 521, we're to live in him, we're in communion with him. He gives us his literal self in the blessed sacrament so that we can go out there and not just not sin, but we can actually, you know, become like him. We can live as love incarnate, that he wants us in these day-to-day -day situations, right, to go out there and find out that the gas pipe is leaking. Okay, what are you going to do with that? Like, are you going to freak out and punch the brick wall and break your hand or something? We're getting an emergency call, aren't we? Yeah, I figured. Okay, so, like, how do you handle these situations? I'll go, look. yeah, you take it for the moment. Okay, cool. We'll find out if it needs to be a priest. Maybe I got to run and, and live as Christ our model. Um, but, you know, like, in looking at this, like, basically in our lives, we're called to live out love incarnate, right? Um, that it's not just about avoiding sin. We're not just people of the commandments. We're also people of the Beatitudes. We're called to live like Christ because ultimately he's in absolute love with the Father. The love between them and the Holy Spirit is poured out upon us and we're invited to join in that. Does it sound too good to be true? Sure it does, but the Catechism tells us right here, he's our model. And that's a, it's a pretty incredible thing. Yeah. And very much like if you think of uh, Hebrews, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like he had it all made and just said, oh, by the way, you should follow me. Mm -hmm. Right? The poverty, the suffering, all those things Jesus dives into first. Mm -hmm. Right? As if he, he reconnoiters ahead, does the reconnaissance, right? goes ahead and says, look, there are perils, there are persecutions. They're, they're going to hate you because they hated me first. Yeah. And from that, he says, but it's okay. Follow me, right? I'll take care of you. I'll bring you back to my father's house. And that confidence is something that we see in Jesus' own integrity, that he follows um, the father's plan. And it's a dicey mission mm -hmm. to come down to earth and save the whole human race. There's no way around it. Um, and, and Jesus knows what that's going to take mm -hmm. before, it, before he arrives. Absolutely. And the thing is, too, I think it's, it's good to recognize that in the same paragraph that the Catechism calls him our model, it also re re recognizes poverty, privation, persecutions. And all of these things, it's not like, okay, when everything's finally calm, you know, all's calm and all's bright, then, then you can be a disciple. It's like, no, I mean, stuff's going to happen. There's going to be the random broken gas pipe when you didn't expect it. Um, and quite frankly, that's one of the easier things to deal with. Yes, could we be dealing with a big financial expense? Sure. 
But as anybody knows, it's like, okay, you know, finances, you deal with it. I'd much rather have that than a broken relationship, you know, or have, you know, like something happened really terrible with one of our parishioners, you know, okay, gas lines can be fixed, but, you know, there are certain relationships that's really hard. It's harder to mend those than it is to break through concrete and fix a pipe, you know? Yeah. Um, so the thing is, like, don't wait until there's no more poverty, privation, persecutions to get started because they're going to come. Like, it, it's, it's happening. Jesus didn't wait until they were all gone to enter into it, um, and neither should we. Speaking of alliterations, poverty, persecutions, privations, preparations. Ooh. Another Look valuable P word there. The Welcome back. We're at 522. Nice. It was not an emergency, true emergency call. It was somebody who was looking for help for Christmas. Cool. So I will be mailing her a couple of gift cards to get her through these hard times. Sounds great. Excellent. Do you have a microphone? I do not, but you guys have microphones. Oh. This is Mike. Uh, but you're good. You can, okay, good. Yeah, we, we did this with Luke, and I went back and listened, and I'm that loud <laughs> that their two microphones picking me up work just as well. That's great. Okay, good. I just, I'm like, wait a second, don't you need to put, okay. No, I'll perfect. Put, also, that helped me get up very quickly. That did. You could do the whole yeah. microphone swap thing. See, that was like the best director of operations thing I've seen in a long time. Like, here I am going on a tangent, all excited. Our phones are buzzing and whatnot, and you just take care of it. Well, like a champ. I got my little Fitbit. It doesn't tell me the message, but it tells me who's calling and okay. who the message is from. Nice. And I just saw a priest. Yeah. I'm like, cool. Well, I'm just going to go act like a priest for a moment <laughs> and take this look. That, mean, that means emergency line's coming in, and it's going to ring to both of us, which is kind of nice. Yeah, so. which is helpful, because sometimes Paula goes on vacation. Yep. Every once in a while. <laughs> And or sometimes in the confessional. And normally he doesn't let me go on vacation when he's on vacation. Nope. So I can get his phone call. It's true. And then he yeah. usually will farm it out to another priest if that's what it Thank takes. Thank you, everyone. Well, priest at St. James in Concord. We yeah. love you very much. Thank you for all your help and anyone else. But mostly I call St. James. Not that you guys are listening, but if you do, thank you. We just got a lot of great priests in our vicariate. We Yay, do. Salisbury vicariate. It's the best. Okay. All right, so we were at 22. So did we talk about John the Baptist yet? Not really. We just, I think it's we're time. Just hitting John just the Baptist is a great segue. I love John the Baptist. We've been hearing about John the Baptist a lot. Recently Absolutely. Because it's about Advent. And actually, that ties into 524 super well. Um, so I'm going to summarize these two, and Father's probably going to want to read the whole thing, but that's his prerogative as pastor. Go for it. So John the Baptist in 523 is the Lord's immediate precursor or forerunner set to prepare his way. Quotations. Prophet of the Most High, John surpasses all the prophets of whom... He is the last, which I was actually thinking about that. I'm like, that's really cool that he is the last, and we like, definitive, done. Because guess what? What is the prophet doing? It's preparing the way or predicting the coming of Christ. And now there's no more. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to be worried about false prophets anymore because there's just none. Yeah. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, One little thing with that. So, John the Baptist, I thought about this because I wrote a paper about today's gospel nice. from Mass um, when I was two years ago, actually, um, about uh, among those born of a woman, there is none greater than John the Baptist, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. In that, I especially noticed he's not only the last prophet, but the only prophet who directly witnesses what he foretells. Mm. And that's why he is the last, because in, I think it's John 1 35, behold the Lamb of God, he knows it. Everything he's been preparing the people for, 
occurs, right? And Jesus is on the scene. All the other prophets had to say, stay tuned. Get ready. He'll be here. That's good. John the Baptist points to him directly. Nice. And immediately the disciples follow. So just a really, really cool figure. That is awesome. Good job. Thank you. Hey, somebody had to do something for you. That's good. <laughs> yeah. And your contributions here at the parish helped me to receive this outstanding theological education. That Thank is wonderful. You. And two years ago, that means it was at the Athenaeum. When Indeed. You go to Cincinnati. Yep. That's great. And obviously, as we talk about, we hear John the Baptist a lot during Advent, because what are we doing in Advent? We're preparing for the coming of Christ, right? So we get to hear a ton about John the Baptist because he's telling people about Christ, that he is coming. Now, the interesting thing that I always find is, well, Jesus was already there. He just hadn't started his ministry. So he's like, yeah, he's over there. He's, he's coming soon. Just hold on. But, you know, with us in Christmas season, it's like, he's not here yet. He will be born very soon. Um, I kind of like the little parallel there. Mm -hmm. I, don't know. I will say, I was listening to something about the readings from this past weekend, you know, where it's John the Baptist you know, preaching to the crowds, and they say, what should we do? And it's like, tax collectors, stop collecting more than you're supposed to. Soldiers, stop being bullies and, you know, accusing people falsely. And you have two tunics, give them away. Same thing with your food. Um, but these, it was uh, Dr. John Bergsman and Scott Hahn, I know, big surprise. But they were saying, like, Jesus was like in the crowd with everybody else. Like, you know, as John the Baptist is out there preaching, like he's there too. Mm -hmm. And it's like they don't know like what's already among them. And the same thing happens with us all the time. I mean, in our difficulties and our ups and our downs, it's so easy to forget like he's in our midst. Like we can literally just go over to the church and be with him in the Blessed Sacrament. Um, that he is still in our midst and we still every day need to hear those words of John the Baptist. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. When you think about what an important character he is, even to this day, even to every single liturgical day, and God knows us well enough to know that we need to hear that all mm. the time. Behold the Lamb of God. Because it's easy to, to just totally miss what's right there next to us. And don't many theologians believe that Jesus was actually a disciple of John the Baptist? Like, actually like um, following him in that way? I've never heard it put that way. Okay. Uh, because there's always the, the careful aspect of, you know, the difference between the two, that he is the forerunner. And obviously, I mean, every time when John's talking, you know, as it said right at the end, towards that, like, the last paragraph in the Gospel is passing, like, the people are filled with expectation. They think that John is the Messiah. Because obviously, he is a compelling figure. Uh, he's, you know, he's, he's very bold with the Pharisees. He calls them the brood of vipers coming out. He's calling people, and, and it says, and I think in Matthew's gospel, that all of Jerusalem and Judea came out to listen to him. That's a big deal. Like, they're not going to the temple. They're going out to the wilderness to be with him. He's very compelling, but he's very careful to say, as it says at the uh, conclusion of paragraph 524, he must increase, but I must decrease. That he, so I would never say Jesus is the disciple. I mean, it's basically like a student of. Like, yeah, he may be in the crowd, and, you know, and tells John, you know, I'm, I'm going down for this baptism. Like, he's in, like, he continues in shoulder to shoulder with everybody else. And, of course, John's like, whoa, I should be baptized by you. Jesus says it's right and fitting, you know. And he goes down, comes up, and the Father, you know, reveals, you are my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, all this happening is like in Jesus' humility. But I would never say that he is a disciple of John the Baptist. And I remember mm -hmm. why I heard that the opinion that he was. When John the Baptist says, um, the one that comes after me, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. So this theologian, whomever it was, took the literal interpretation of 
disciple following the master, yeah. like the disciples would follow uh, Christ mm -hmm. later on. And so they were saying, yeah, see, he's following John the Baptist in this disciple kind of master relationship. And then, you know, I, he must increase and I must decrease. So he was following me and then we're going to switch places. Those were the two kind of verses that they mentioned. But you know what? That's a very literal interpretation. Yeah. And I don't know if I buy it either, but I remember I heard it once. I could see that, and I think I would want to listen to a scripture scholar more well-versed than me to, like, like, you know, kind of go with that. However, you know, it's like, I think John the Baptist is always emphasizing, you know, the primacy of Christ. Like, everything about him points towards Christ. Hmm. And I'll just point it out because it's one of my favorite things about the liturgical year. You know, right now, we're within a week of the shortest uh, light hour day of the year, right? And then what are we going to celebrate? Christmas, when the light enters back in. And then when we hit June 24th, the longest light day of the year, that's when the light starts to decrease. So it's like at this point, the light increases. The light has come into the world. It's Jesus being born. In June, when the light must decrease, uh, that's when John the Baptist is born. And there's just something so beautiful about that. I know that's in our particular hemisphere and part of the world. However, there's just something so beautiful about that liturgically with the light and the way that it works. Mm -hmm. when we celebrate the birth of these two cousins and our Lord. Perfect. Good the birth. Deacon Balky, the Christmas mystery. You want to share with us the joys of Christmas? We've already kind of done that a dozen times. Hmm. Um, or you could dive into the infancy too. Take it away. Let's just briefly say that um, the Christian mystery, right, it's picking up in this situation of poverty. I think that's a really important component that's emphasized here. And um, that he is the king though a helpless child, um, an infant. Um, and so those two things come together. So all the appearances would tell us that he has no power. All he can really do is cry and whimper and be quiet and then cry some more. So. And I have one of those at home. I know exactly what that is. <laughs> you might have more than one at certain times. Uh, only one at the moment. Well, I guess a two-year-old will cry and whimper as well. There's a little more I, reason. To I won't challenge that. you to that. <laughs> Anyways, um, so you, you see this contrast, right? Because Jesus really is a figure of contrast right mm -hmm. from the beginning. He's the king. Well, you know, the Magi see this star rising, and they're going to go and, and follow it to a king to pay homage. And yet, by all appearances, they couldn't even get a room at the inn. Yeah. Um, and there's a, a beautiful line um, by uh, now Cardinal Reniero Cantala Mesa, who preaches um, to the papal household over in the Vatican. He says, for the people who are the poorest in that part of the gospel, Mary and Joseph and then Jesus about to be born, we hear about them all throughout the rest of history. But the, the innkeeper who had no space, who had the things, we don't even know their name. They're just the innkeeper, and that's like they're like it's a cameo, right? Like one little appearance, they come in and they give their line, like, uh, we have no room. Never seen again. No one ever talks about the innkeeper. You never revisit that. Um, there's something really beautiful and enduring um, in the poverty of Christ as he's born. Absolutely. And it reminds me a little bit too. What did Father Tom Kessler tell you about to be a good priest? Can you Yes. Be, can you be small enough? And simple enough and humble enough, like Mary, mm -hmm. um, to be able to respond to God with your whole heart. Yeah. Um, you need the capacity. You need to be smart and brave. And those are important. 
but only when you can start from that trust, yeah. that complete dependence on God. That's really good. So another Thanks, Father Tom of, Kessler. Another great priest of our vicariate. Yeah. St. Philip, Statesville. Mm-hmm. So then we dive into more of the mysteries of Christ's life, right? We, 527 talks about Jesus being circumcised, right? Following the, the law, the Jewish law, right, that was uh, given to them. Um, showing that he is a good Jew at this point. His parents are a good Jew following the law. Uh, then we get into the epiphany, which I think is a beautiful mystery. And I think it, it was really interesting what this paragraph pointed out as the mystery, right? Kind of in the second half of the paragraph, because it's actually a fairly long paragraph mm-hmm. for the Catechism, 528. Um, it says, Their coming means that pagans can discover Jesus and worship him as Son of God and Savior of the world. Only by turning towards the Jews and receiving from them the messianic promise as contained in the Old Testament. So it's this revelation that even pagans who open their understanding up just a little bit to what this Jewish tradition has to offer about a Messiah coming can come to give adoration and honor and glory to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we all know, right, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, um, it's not in here, but if I understand correctly, gold was recognizing his kingship, uh, frankincense was uh, recognizing his divinity, and myrrh was a burial spice recognizing you know, the importance of his death. Mm-hmm. And so even within the gifts they're bringing, they're recognizing in some way who Christ is and the importance of his, importance of his life. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of mystery in following the star and you know, the dreams that they had and going home a different way. I mean, this story is beautiful because it is very mysterious and shrouded in mystery, mm. um, but the theological significance behind it, I never really had thought about sure. as, as the paragraph, uh, catechism paragraph described it. That's really good. Totally agree. Um, and then we get the presentation of Jesus in the temple, which is also a wonderful, mysterious time mm-hmm. in Christ's life with Simeon and Anna encountering Christ. Right, both of them seeing him at this presentation, proclaiming them at him as the Savior and Messiah. Mary keeping all these in the, the silence of her heart, which is also kind of a mis- mysterious way of doing that as well. And then the flight into Egypt. Yeah, I was say, can we, let's just read all of 530, because oh, I love it. it. The flight into Egypt and the massacre of the innocents make manifest the opposition of darkness to the light. And this is a quote from the Gospel of John. He came to his own home, and his own people received him not. Christ's whole life was lived under the sign of persecution. His own, sh- his own share it with him. Jesus' departure from Egypt recalls the Exodus and presents him as the definitive liberator of God's people. So it's like everything falls into place. You know, it's like God knows how to write the perfect story. You know, that's just, it ties everything together so incredibly well. And I do like that line too, that his own share it with him, that persecution. That, okay, yeah, I mean, are we, you know, that all the P's from before, poverty, privation, persecution, he experienced them, he came into them, he did not shun them, um, but gave himself over totally right from the very beginning. And those that he loved the most, you might say, his blessed mother, St. Joseph, they went through it with him. So it's not like, oh, the ones that Jesus loves, you know, they've got it easy. No, like... Easy is not what we're in for when we become followers of Jesus Christ. Like, that's not in his vocabulary, except for insofar as if easy means the peacefulness of being in communion with him. You know, like, my yoke is easy, my burden light. What does that mean? 
sin is terrible. Like, okay, if it makes it seem like it's going to be easy and comfortable, yeah, that ain't going to last. Like, that's not going to be a peaceful way of going about things. But to be close to our Lord, the only easiness, it doesn't mean, you know, getting rid of the three Ps. It means being in communion with Him. And even when things are difficult, it still doesn't get better than being in love with love incarnate. And at this point, all of these mysteries of Jesus' infancy between 527 and 530, I imagine like a spring stretching out, right? You're voting it with all this tension. The potential energy is there, and you're like, what's it going to do? It's going to be a king, and oh man, you know, he's being persecuted. And then, like any good movie, the screen goes <laughs> black, and there's suspense, and you're like, no, you got to tell me, right? And we go right into the hidden life. Yeah. The part that the Gospels don't really open up to us. Um, and so from really the point of him being in the temple at 12. Well, that's kind of just a small little glimpse through. even yeah. in his hidden life. That's sure. just one episode. That's one, sure. one tiny episode of, you know, like a flashback narrative. Yeah. You know? yeah. It's, hey, remember this time this thing happened? And we go... No, actually, we don't. And we weren't there. We don't have anything before or after. We just get a little flashback. Um, So, yeah, it's, and Father and I were just talking about this. And actually, the more I kind of think about this part of Christ's life, you know, I'm always like, well, we're getting gypped. It goes black. You know, I'm kind of a big Marvel guy, and we were watching uh, the new episode of Hawkeye last night, and the big reveal and then cut. It's like, come on, (laughs) I got to wait till next week to figure out what happened. We don't get next week on this one. This will always be hidden. But the more I reflect on that, the more I realize, and the Catechism says it so beautifully in 531, during the greater part of his life, Jesus shared the condition of the vast majority of human beings. A daily life spent without evident greatness, a life of manual labor. Well, what better way to show us how to live our lives than just say, hey, you know what? From the flight into Egypt until, other than this little glimpse of 12, until I'm 30. We're talking like 30-something years of lifespan. Just just doing my thing. Yeah. Just living in my family. Taking care of the grind. Taking care of the grind. Working with my dad. Helping my mom bake. Doing the normal life thing. And just loving life. Yep. Learning Torah. Learning yeah. Torah. As an observer. Growing in wisdom and stature, yeah. and God and man. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just because this is kind of fun for me, how old are the two of you? Two of us? Yeah. I'm just turned 30. Yep, exactly. And I'm on the doorstep, 29. There you have it. So right at the time that Jesus is about to begin his public ministry, you're looking at it right here. So. And it's weird because I don't feel like if, if somebody said, hey, you're going out to start ministry, start preaching on the street corners, and hey, you're going to die in three years. Like, yeah. What? Like 30? Are you sure? I need at least 10 more years to be ready for that. When you get to 30, and I know most of our viewers are well over 30, and we're very much young compared to probably our audience. I'm like, wait, wait, 30? Like, that's not enough time to get ready for this. And to be fair, as someone 10 years your senior, yeah, it doesn't feel that way. 40 (laughs) either, so I'm like, all right, yeah, let's take on the world. The one thing I will say that I think I appreciate more now than ever, and I'm really glad you pointed out paragraph 531, you know, the more I think you can appreciate, you know, just the goodness of daily life. I, okay, I'll just say this as an aside. One of my annoyances, like in a post-conciliar change, I don't like the phrase ordinary time. It's like, come on, like just give us, you know, it's the such and such Sunday after Pentecost. Like it's kind of cool. We're going, we're on a mission. 
Um, where ordinary, it's like it's almost like it intentionally sounds boring, which it's not meant to be. Ordinary doesn't mean boring. However, I will say I've come to appreciate the glories of daily life more and more. Like one of the things people say is like, oh, how do you know all the kids' names? It's like, well, I mean, we got 165 awesome little individuals in the school and like with their own cool personalities, hmm. which one of them lives in our neighborhood and Darren and she always go back and forth with like origami how you doing stuff whenever he's in town. And like the first thing he did when he got to town was to make a little origami Christmas thing and go put it in her mailbox. And within like five hours, she had one back in ours. In fact, that's <laughs> way better at this than I am. And after school today, she goes, funny. when is he going to put in another one? I'm like, I don't know. I'll ask him. And I get to ask him on camera. But Fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's like the high fives, you know, like it's it, okay. It's yep. brief. It's, but, and especially now I've been here as a pastor for eight years it's you know, I'm seeing kids grow up. It's like kids that were here and little guys are now picking up their younger siblings in the car line and driving. And it's crazy, you know? It's like, or someone that I knew in high, uh, you know, like I was their chaplain there in high school at their wedding a little over a year ago. Or, you know, it's like kid I baptized a long time ago. Now he's in second grade. I'm getting ready to give him first communion. Like It's just like to see that growth and to see that beauty, or even as a priest, like, you know, I get to hear a lot of confessions, right? I don't always get to see the fruit of my labor, but just to be there with that individual encounter of someone repenting and being forgiven by God, it's like he acts in ordinary time. And I think one of the biggest threats and dangers right now is like we're told that that's not good. It's like just zone out, get on your phone, you know, just do that. But it's like reality is so rich. And our Lord, you know, obviously didn't have, you know, a lot of uh, tech like all over the place. Actually, he didn't have any. Yeah, exactly. Like his technology Zero. is like, is like yeah. hammer and nail, right? Like it's a different type of technology. But it's not, I think the like the zoning out of reality is so dangerous because God speaks to us through the reality. And that's one of those things I would say in the ordinary life. Because obviously it's like our Lord is growing in prayer too you know like he's being obedient to his parents being obedient to his heavenly father it says at the end of 531 he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with god and man how do you do that with god you spend time with him and i mean once he does hit his public life what's he doing all the time he's going out by himself to pray and i think when we do that it's like more and more we enter into that beatitude of blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see god the more our intentions are pure it's not just a chastity thing although that's part of it but the more it's like, Lord, let me see you in day-to-day life. And when you think about what Jesus spent the most time on in his, in his life was the hiddenness, the hidden years. Like, we all have it around us all the time. And I get it. It's like, oh, but, you know, my family, we're having a hard time. Yeah, I get it. Me too. But at the same time, it's like when you can enter in and see the goodness that still happens, even amidst the privation, poverty, and persecution, uh, he's still there, and it's obviously important enough that he exp- he you know, participated in it too. Yeah. And as much as I'd love to get into five thirty four on our round, I know we just we, hit. We're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're over time already. I know, but we, we did. Like, we started what, like fifteen minutes late? We did. So oh. we'll save this for another day, another time to reflect upon five thirty four. If that's okay, we'll that's great because that was really cool. You're straight. I know, and I'm still going to be thinking about it. I'm sure next Keep it up. time. Um, so. If, if you watch this, leave a comment below if you want to hear us go over that story or catch Father After Mass. Say, hey, that thing Michael was talking about. When are we going to hear about that? If we hear from you, we'll do it, right? We could do like a bonus episode. Yeah, what, what do they say? If we get 100 <laughs> likes on this video, 
We'll do a bonus episode. And then we'll call it the 534 Club or something and you're like, like that. And yeah. you're like, click on the link below. I Support think us on idea, Patreon. Yeah. Help us fix our, our gas pipes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're, we're trying to do the whole influencer thing, but I mean, we're not very good at it. Notice I said 100 likes. Yeah. And you know, Woo-hoo. that's probably my mom creating 50 accounts, it's, your mom creating the other 50, and then true. we'll get to 100. It's very possible. Hey, let's not leave Cheryl Balky out of this. Oh, oh sorry. We're not Facebook. <laughs> oh, that's true. Well, it's on YouTube now, too. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. 33 apiece. We got it. There you go. Um, So after the hidden life, then we get into the public life, kind of as we were alluding to, right, Um, at that age of 33 years of public ministry. And the first thing we get, we go back to John the Baptist, right? Mm -hmm. We get the baptism. And I always love the question of why did Jesus need to get baptized? He was God. He was sin. He kind of set up baptism, okay? But it wasn't for him. Okay, it was for us, for us to recognize that this is, again, how we're supposed to imitate Christ. Be like, he was like us in all things but sin, and we're supposed to be exactly like him and imitate him as our example. And also, it was kind of that first revelation of who Jesus is, right? Think about it. If you're standing at the baptism of Jesus and you hear coming a dove, kind of all of a sudden, kind of flying over and not really resting upon, but you get the idea, coming out of the sky, and then you hear a voice come from the heavens. This is my son? Yeah. Um, in whom I am well pleased. Who, who is this that yeah. we're dealing with here? What yeah. just happened? Did you just hear that thing that I heard? I think everyone probably thought they were hallucinating, like group hallucinations. It's a pretty big deal. I will say, too, um, this was probably one of the most profound things for me in going to the Holy Land. Because, like, being in Galilee, you know, so up north, kind of in the area, you know, where Jesus is a lot of time, around the Sea of Galilee, like, close to where, like, you know, his, the private quiet life is, it's heavenly. Like, the Sea of Galilee is beautiful, it's green, it's lush, it's, like, just lovely up there. Going to the Jordan where Jesus was baptized, I mean, for lack of a better phrase, it's like hell. Like, it's, it's a horrible part of the world. I don't understand why everybody just, like, wants to get in that water, because it's slow-moving, it's gross, it's, like, kind of brownish. Um, and right now, like, there's been so many wars and bombed out stuff, it just makes it all much worse. And I almost feel like it's like this, you know, he's going into his public ministry. It's like he's, he's descending down from the heavenly aspects of home life. Okay, now I'm entering into it, into his public life. Like, he's not afraid to go down into the depths. It's this prefigurement of his going down into the very depths of hell. And you know what's going to happen? He's going to come back up, and the heavenly Father is well pleased with him. It's like this beautiful prefigurement, just like in our baptism, we go down into the depths and we're raised to life with Christ. Um, and it's just, there's something about it when you go to the place, it's it's incredible to see it, and I think that that imagery just makes it that much more real. Yeah, that's right out of 537. Through baptism, the Christian is sacramentally assimilated to Jesus, we're absorbed into the mystery of Jesus, who in his own baptism anticipates his death and resurrection. The Christian must enter into this mystery of humble self-abasement and repentance. Go down into the water with Jesus in order to rise with him. Be reborn of water and the Spirit so as to become the Father's beloved Son in the Son and walk in newness of life. That's, that's rich. That is indeed That's like 16-ounce sirloin right in the middle <laughs> of the plate. Like, whoa. You mean... We're going to get caught up in Jesus' mystery of death and resurrection when we're baptized? You're right, buddy. So you can think of the baptism of John with repentance. It's like a circuit that's not yet charged. 
and Jesus comes in and, and hooks up the battery, you know, and just, it's Times Square, right? Yeah. Um, the grace is flowing, so it's not just the interior turn, the repentance, coming back to God, but God's coming to be with us. Yeah. Um, and that, that, what a, I mean, the sparks fly. So. In such an awesome and huge yeah. way. And obviously we'll get a ton more about baptism. Um, you can see on the left side of your page, it says 1262, because that is the paragraph that is connecting to once we get to baptism. So there we go. We'll get there. A little peek when we get there, too. It'll take a little bit more time, but, you know, we're already at 537. We're flying by this. the end of this conversation. We're doing fantastic. How about those temptations, though? Yeah, those temptations. We just jumped from Advent all the way to Lent. Isn't that amazing? Incredible. In, like, 15 paragraphs. So we get the temptations, right? Jesus goes out. Basically, as soon as he was baptized, he's like, see ya, fellas. <laughs> and he goes on to the desert for 40 days with no food. That's the thing that always gets me. With no food. Like, I don't think I could go four hours with no food. I will say, Father too. Father does better than this. Um, so I listened to the Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World mm, on mm, fasting. Mm-hmm. And he did say, I mean, it's totally possible. Like, yeah. to go 40 days without food, you can do it. There was a whole episode of Intermittent Fasting, which it was, I highly suggest. Super good episode. It is, yeah. It was. A, oh, it's awesome. I and think, yeah. it was, yeah, it was super yeah. interesting when he said, like, he just threw that nugget out there. Yeah, it's the like, oh, it. yeah, it's totally possible. Because I know there's some people that's like, no, there's no way. But no, yeah. I mean, you get over the hunger pains relatively quickly, but it's just like, yeah, he goes through it. And I'll tell you, I really appreciate this, like, thinking ahead. Because I do love Advent. It's great. Because in some ways, like, I'm not very good at the best. It's funny. All you have to do to make me not want to read something or write about it is just assign it to me. You know, just like, mm. yes, I am pretty good at just, like, not eating all day, right? But then when it comes to Lent, it's like, ah, I want to eat a cheeseburger. It's like, no, you can't. Like, it's just funny when we're told you need to do this. That's when it's the hardest to do. But 540, I really like this. Jesus' temptation reveals the way in which the Son of God is Messiah. Contrary to the way, way Satan proposes to him, the way men wish to attribute it to him. This is why Christ vanquished the tempter for us. For we have not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, is in every, who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sinning. By the solemn 40 days of Lent, the church unites herself each year to the mystery of Jesus in the desert. He's done it. He's done it for us. And so Lent isn't just like, hey, prove you can go 40 days without eating hot. No, I mean, it's like, He's done it for us, like we're entering in once again back to 426. What's the point of catechesis? Communion with Christ. And the more we grow in our love with him, and th- that time of year really calls us to like, okay, am I like in communion with him? It's not just proving you can go 40 days without eating X, Y, and Z or drinking X, Y, and Z. Um, it helps you to see you don't have to have those things, but it's really, it's like growing in communion and love with Jesus Christ. And while I don't look forward to Lent, like I'm always happy that I've entered into it. And Lent goes quicker and quicker every it year. Does. It I think does. it's maybe just with age. I mean, again, 30, 40. But I feel like Lent just blocks. I, I agree. And yeah. like you pick something, and you're like, oh, I'm going to do this really well. And then like the first two weeks are really hard and you fail. But then all of a sudden you're like, oh, it's halfway through Lent. And I have totally failed. So it's very odd. You get that, that second win. You refocus. Psychological dynamic of yeah. how it works. It's funny also, I was thinking, because Father and I have been just dealing with the vestment color changes um, for the, the season of Advent, and then Gaudete Sunday brought us a brief spot of rose. And uh, in that, right, that Advent and Lent both share 
that, that purple hue, um, which I think that, that just struck me as we talked about the hidden years. Like you sort of leave off with purple, there's a little bit of rejoicing at Christmas, and then he comes back and we're into purple again at Lent. Yeah. Um, and, and so purple also the color of the king, right? His kingdom always has a little bit of penance. That's true. And it, that's why you want to go to heaven, folks, because there will not be penance in heaven. Guaranteed. Just, so, just more union with Christ. That's right. That's Love him more and more every moment. He will have already burned away the chaff with his winnowing fan, as we heard of this last Sunday. Winnowing. Which in Greek is pituan. <laughs> Thank you, Father. You're welcome. I really wanted to know that. I'm glad I you hope did. you all did, too. Um, all right. So now that he comes out of the desert, we start the proclamation of the kingdom, right? And we get it for basically the next three-ish years of his life. But there's so much there, right? Mm -hmm. Read the Gospels. There's so much that Jesus tells us during this time period. And in 543 through quite a bit, we get little snippets of what he's trying to reveal to us, right? Uh, 543. Everyone is called to enter the kingdom. First announced to the children of Israel, this messianic kingdom is is intended to accept men of all nations. Okay, That's kind of the prerequisite, if you will, for the rest of what he's saying. 544, the kingdom belongs to the poor and lowly, which means those who have accepted it with humble hearts. So Jesus is specifically sent to the poor and lowly, right, to bring him to himself. Or 545, Jesus invites sinners to the table of the kingdom. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So we're seeing it's for everyone, mm -hmm. but specifically the poor and lowly, specifically the sinners. And this very much ties in with his ministry, right? A doctor does not come to heal the healthy. He comes to heal the sick. So yeah, it is for everyone, but there are specific people that need it a little bit more than others. But really, when it's all said and done with, we're all poor and lowly, and You're we're sick. all sinners, you know, yeah, we're all kind of sick too. And so You're we, sick too. I'm sick we too. all need the doctor. And we're also all everyone, as 543 says. I love the like the uh, the italic emphasis. Everyone, poor and lowly, sinners. Uh, you just totally like showed everyone what I was doing there. Yeah, I just read kind of No, 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 it was perfect. I just love it when the catechism does that. It's like, okay, we're gonna just make sure you focus on this. Here's yep. an emphasis. Everyone, poor and lowly, sinners. Like they do yep. a good job of it. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful uh, rhetorical device. Anyway, continue. And, and it makes my life a whole lot easier Heck when yeah. I have to talk about the catechism. I just use the rhetorical device. It's good. They know what they're focusing on. The next one, parables. And I haven't talked about that one because I was going to softball pitch it over yeah. somebody else. So. I do love parables. And this is the thing, too, is the good deacon and I know from, uh, from striving to preach. I mean, parables, it's like any way that you can to keep getting in there, giving analogies, throwing things out there. Today, I made up a parable for the kiddos about two brothers going to Disney World. You know, it's like you... It was so-so. It was so-so. He's done better. But, like, you're trying to get into it to, like, you know, okay, what's going to help this particular group to understand the message that you're going for? And our Lord knows. I mean, he told a lot of stories. We're going to spend a year in the Gospel of Luke now. We've entered year C. And he has some of the most famous of all the parables. I mean, the parable of the prodigal son is only in Luke. The parable of the Good Samaritan is only in Luke. I mean, we're going to get a lot of very rich stories that come from our Lord. And you think about that, it's like he's breaking things open to help us to understand more and more the rich and everlasting love of God. It says here, 546, the parables are like mirrors for man. Yes. I mean, you could sit with that. That could be an Advent project. 
write down a mirror that you see every day for all of Advent, right? Will you be hard soil or good earth for the word? Um, so these are not just stories to explain, but they invite reflection, right? We yeah. measure ourselves against the, the tree, the seed, the earth, the, the birds, the all of these different figures and very common things that Jesus brings in. Absolutely. It's a common denominator where we can re-examine where we are with God. The sons, the workers with the talents. Hmm. Yeah. Good stuff. Journeys. Journeys. Yeah. And then to bring us home for the day, right? The signs of the kingdom of God. So this is all about Jesus showing that he is the Messiah, showing us that the kingdom of God truly is at hand because mm -hmm. the Messiah has come. He, I mean, I'll think about all the miracles that he performed to emphasize this fact. Actually, in RCIA a couple weeks ago, we were talking about the Eucharist, right? And John 6, the Eucharistic, the Eucharistic discourse, and all the people are coming and basically saying, what sign can you show us? Just like um, Moses did in the desert with the uh, manna come down from heaven. And Jesus is like, uh, weren't you just part of those 5,000 people that I fed? Like, um, it, well, I had five loaves and two fish, and I fed you all. And you're coming to me looking for signs? Open your eyes, people. Think about all the signs that he did. We don't want to be like the Israelites at the time that said, Jesus, we need more signs. What else did you do? Yeah, we're 2,000 years removed, so there's a little bit of difference here. We weren't sitting there eating the loaves themselves. Um, but we have to remember that these stories have been handed out a long time because they were amazing, right? And I think there's a couple things to keep in mind there, too. You know, one, for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, I mean, there's still stuff going on all the time. I mean, there's all kinds of miraculous things, big, small. Yes, some, like, scientifically testable, some relationally based, you know? It's like all of a sudden, like, you got this story of forgiveness and reconciliation. You're like... How is that possible? Like, those things happen all the time, these, like, beautiful miracles you don't expect. So, I mean, we are still in an age of miracles. But also, I think this is an important paragraph, 549. By freeing some individuals from the earthly evils of hunger, injustice, illness, and death, Jesus performed messianic signs. Nevertheless, he did not come to abolish all evils here below, but to free men from the greatest slavery, sin, which thwarts them in their vocation as God's sons, and causes all forms of human bondage. And the thing I love about that is that, you know, you think about the fact that we are still put in this place to fight against sin and death. Like, he still gives us the chance, like, to participate in his own ministry. And the one I always go to for the example is you think about Maximilian Kolbe, right? Like, he's basically in hell on earth in Auschwitz, but still shows that true heroic virtue is possible even in a concentration camp. Even in the midst of all these evils and terribleness and all this, he can still lay his life down for somebody else. Or um, we had, it was the St. Andrew Dung Lok, the end of November, mm. the Vietnamese martyrs, yes. where he's talking about life in prison and he says, like, it's a veritable hell on earth, and yet we still rejoice. And it's because at the end of the day, the light of the gospel overcomes sin and death, like, overcomes those evils. And so, like, he allows us to participate in that. Is it a mystery what he chooses to take away? You know, like what he chooses to heal, what he doesn't? Yeah, it is. But to be honest, I'm not God. I don't know what he's going to choose. I just know that he's allowed me to be one of his priests, to get to be a sacramental minister, to dole out the glories of his mercy in the confessional, to get to hold him in my hands in the Mass. 
and that those are real, I mean, it's really him, and it's real sacraments, and amazing things can happen. Nevertheless, we still have to deal with the difficulties here, but it's like he allows us to participate in bearing his cross. And when you think about, like, looking back on your life and the things you've overcome and been through, I mean, been through a lot, even just the last eight years of us working together right here at Sacred Heart, right? But I'm grateful for the ways I've gotten to grow through those things and have grown closer to Christ in having borne my cross and stayed close to him. Um, and it's all like in the mystery of salvation, but he stays with us and is the Messiah throughout it all. And isn't it amazing that all three of us literally showed up to this place like the same week? Yeah. Who yeah. Was, yeah. Was like, he, were you really the same week too? He actually moved into my house before I did. No way. I was going to prepare a place for him. You are so good. You are a good forerunner, you know that. Well, You're just a good runner, too. I mean, he was a little bit more hidden and subdued because he had his own job down. True. At, uh, but he was around, yeah, you're right, because you used to do here. some of the catechetical stuff and youth mm -hmm. ministry things. And... Yeah. I still remember uh, one of the first days he was around, we were coming out of daily mass, and uh, Frank Cardell, the principal at the time, came over to me and said, do you know that guy? He had, Darren had really short, well, shorter hair than he does now, and he had a pretty bushy beard at that point. And he did look a little uh, edgy. Edgy. Edgy, interesting. that's a good word. But we have a slightly common look. So for some reason, everyone just naturally thinks that we know each other, which we do, <laughs> which is nice. Yeah. Um, but it was kind of a fun conversation to have. Oh, yeah, that's my roommate. It's totally fine. It's all good. Yeah. We were mistaken a lot we, in that yeah. first summer. Yeah. yeah. Which is all right. It's good guy to be mistaken for. Yes, Michael indeed. A. Becker. Yes, indeed. Director of Operations. All right. Well, we are... Hmm. 20-ish minutes over, but I think that'll wrap us up for the day, correct? I think so. Yeah, that last one is just about the fact that Jesus overcomes Satan. Oh, but guess what? What? It's always demons. The italics is exorcism. Exorcism. That's, that's another Jimmy Aiken quote. It's always demons. Or it's always aliens. It's, it's always one of the aliens. two. Yeah, I love two. it. And this time it just happens to be demons. Right. Um, so yeah, obviously Jesus comes to heals and he also casts out demons. He does. Exorcisms. So that's another miraculous work that he's doing to show the signs of the kingdom, to summarize that up. And he will it, win on the last day. Absolutely. So the biggest thing, 549, the greatest evil, sin. It's the only thing ultimately you have to be afraid of. Um, the prayer that our good deacon will be praying very soon, every day, looking at the Blessed Sacrament is those words, never mm. let me be parted from you. And as long as we stare clear from sin, you know, so be like stuff will happen, poverty, pri privation, persecution. But as long as we don't sin, as long as we're never parted from him, there's nothing to be afraid of. And do you see what happens here? I leave for like two minutes to take an emergency call, and they come up with this cool little acronym thing that I am totally not privy to anymore. I forget which paragraph it was. So you have to go you back used to a letter P word, though. Privy. I know. I did it on purpose to just try to feel included in the You group. purposely used privy? Yeah, I did. Privy. To that point was out the problem? Because I was taking a priest call. Ah, that was good. Precisely. <laughs> cool. Uh, well, we hope... We, you all have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. This is the last Catechism series. Until the New Year, hoorah, hoorah. we made it. And we'll be back with you at our normal time in, at the last... Yeah, the last Thursday, Thursday of, of the month, month in January. That's which I don't know 30. what the date is, but we'll have fun. I don't know either, but I know November, December were a little weird because of Thanksgiving and Christmas. So we'll be back to our normal routine next month. 
And we're so excited to be with you all. And Father's going to close us with a prayer because our wonderful principal is waiting for us. And that sounds great. Let's do it. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As, As it was in the beginning, beginning is now, now and, and ever shall be, world, world without end. Amen. The Lord be with you. And, and with your spirit. spirit. And Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God.